God is worthy of our worship. And God is worthy of our praise. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, I will praise him. I will worship him. I will give him the honor that is due unto him. God has been good to us. God has been good to me. God has been better to me than I have been to myself. Even in the dark days, even in the dark nights, God has been an ever-present presence in my life. He knows my ups. He knows my down. He knows my coming. He knows my going. He knows my rising. He knows my laying down. He knows everything about me. And I am grateful. And I will praise him for he orders my steps. He lets me know the way to righteousness. He will not leave me in the valley of decision. But he will raise me up. Plant my feet on solid ground. Put me on the rock that is higher than high. And I will praise him. I will praise him. If no one else will, I will praise him. For he is worthy of our worship and he is worthy of our praise. Lord, I pray that you forgive us for how we have taken you for granted. Lord, believing, Lord, that we have gotten anything by ourselves but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God and his tender mercies. Oh, I will praise him. I will praise him. From the rising of the sun, I will give him praise. Thank you, worship team, for setting the atmosphere for preaching. I am always, always excited, but humbled at the same time, to ascend into his pulpit, to preach a word to his people. And my prayer is simply that we will get to that place where we not only think intellectually that God is worthy of our worship, but that we will experience and feel the need to give him our praise. Amen? Amen. Our scripture this morning came from John's Gospel. The first chapter and reading the 29th through the 34th verses. And I'll read it again so that we're all on the same page. Because I think that there is something in this text that we need to see and to understand about God. The text reads, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. I recall when I was in grade school and I was young, we had many ways of insulting each other as children. I have to tell you, looking back on those days, kids were very cruel. 
We said very hurtful things to each other and never really thought too much about it. Personally, I was bullied a lot, and I too bullied other kids, lest you think I'm some paragon of virtue. <laughs> in fact, I got into many fights, and to be very honest, I actually cannot ever remember winning any of them. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the only fights I probably can remember winning was the ones against my younger brother. I lost many fights, yes. Now, while bullying today is nothing new, the difference between now and back then was that no one feared being shot after being ridiculed. Back then, most issues were settled on the playground with good old fisticuffs. And once a fight was done, that was the end of the issue. That was the end of it. It was over, and truthfully, we all became friends so that we could continue playing again. But as I think back, we had some really good one-line insults that could easily start many fights. I'm not going to list the most egregious ones that you all are probably thinking about already, but I'm sure some of you can remember things such as, I am rubber, you are glue, anything you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Or liar, liar, pants on fire. Y'all remember some of those. And, and sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. Now, of course, these are the tame ones for sure. There were some that were far worse. But there was one that I distinctly remember, and whenever it was used, it often caused much embarrassment. It was the one insult that no matter what anyone would have said, it, it, you, you didn't have a comeback for this one, because once it said, game over, that insult was, it takes one to know one. Y'all remember that one? For me, this was the quintessential insult, because when that, whatever you called someone, it was immediately reflected back on them. Now, now, from a theological perspective, there happens to be some truth contained in this little quip, and for that reason, and in context of today's sermon, I want to title this message, It Takes One to Know One. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for the preaching hour. Lord, it does, in fact, takes one to know one. Lord, what does that really mean? Well, we hope that you will open up our minds and our hearts as we delve into today's scriptures. Let us see, God, just the way that you move and work in our lives, that we may come out of here not only edified, but on fire for the things of you. Bless our time now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the general idea behind the quip, it takes one to know one, is that the person who expressed some kind of criticism about one person has similar faults to the person being criticized. And it generally works this way. If you say Maggie is a terrible cook, and Maggie then says it takes one to know one, then it simply means that you two are being labeled a terrible cook just like Maggie. It's just that simple. It is the general idea that comes from the same kind of, of thought, which is the pot calling the kettle black. You know what I'm talking about. But, but to make the assertion that you can criticize someone for some kind of problem or character flaw means that you two have the same character flaw in order to recognize it in someone else. 
In, in other words, there has to be something in you that is familiar with the flaw that you are criticizing. Otherwise, you won't be able to see it in the other person. But is that really true? I don't know. Do, do you have to have the same issues as the person in order to recognize the issue in other people? I don't know. But that's what we're going to try to understand. Now, let's see if we can find out if there's any truth to this. It takes one to know one. I looked up the meaning of the word recognition in the dictionary, and um, it literally means, according to Webster's Dictionary, number one, the identification of someone or something from a previous encounter or knowledge that you have. Secondly, it's to perceive to be something or someone previously known. So in other words, to recognize something or someone is to be able to recollect from a previous encounter that someone or something. In other words, I have to have had an encounter with you before. I've had to know something about you before if I'm going to recognize you. <laughs> now, based on this definition, you cannot recognize anything or anyone if you've never met them before. If I've never seen you, never spoken to you, never engaged with you on any level, then I cannot recognize you. I literally don't know you. Now, this is a big deal and very important to understand, church, because in our text, we have the prophet, John the Baptist, making a declaration about Jesus, and he uses the word recognize. Let's look again at our text. Let's look at it carefully. It's, it, it said in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, now, before we go too far, I want you to stay with me, church. Before we go too far, John's statement is emphatic. It's an emphatic declaration that gives us the sense that John is very confident in declaring the identity of Jesus. John is not saying, I think you are the Lamb of God. John is saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He did not stutter. John was not uncertain. He was not unsure. John was confident who this Jesus is. In other words, John recognized something about Jesus. Now, now let's go back to that definition of recognition. Or to recognize. It, 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 it's a kind of recognition that says John could identify Jesus from a previous encounter or knowledge about him. That's what I define recognizing as. And the dictionary does the same. So for John to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and be emphatic and confident about it according to our, to our definition, John would have had a previous encounter or knowledge about Jesus. Are you still with me? Secondly, John could perceive Jesus because he previously knew him. Now, both of these could be easily true based on the definition. And, and, and so, here's what we know about John the Baptist and his relationship with Jesus. In the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus' mother Mary is a relative of Elizabeth, who is the mother of John. 
right? The Bible doesn't explicitly describe Elizabeth as Mary's cousin, but it uses the term relative. So I'm of the mindset with other scholars who believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is cousins with Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Now, why is this important? It's important because we remember when, when, when Mary came and approached the pregnant Elizabeth, the Bible tells us that the baby inside Elizabeth's womb in utero moved and it was excited. Something was different. It, it, it felt something. Why? Because there is a spirit in that child that recognized the spirit in the child of Mary. Now, now they hadn't even been born yet. But, 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 but if I put my mind and believe that Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, then chances are in Palestine, guess what? Jesus and John probably grew up together. They, they were probably boys playing on the playground. I can see John saying to, to, to Jesus right now, you, you know, it takes one to know one. I can see John saying to Jesus, or even Jesus saying back to him, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, I mean, I could see them going back and forth as children growing up. John could at least identify Jesus, not only as his cousin, but as his homeboy, his homie. So while I'm okay with saying that John recognized Jesus, I am not okay with what John called Jesus. I could grow up with you. I could spend time with you. I could know you as my brother or my cousin, my sister or my whatever. I can grow up with you, but, and I can know some things about you growing up. But I'm not comfortable saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't understand how John could have been so emphatic about that statement. And, and, and why is this a problem for your church? Why is this a problem for your pastor? Because, because John didn't say, hey, here comes my cousin Jesus. He didn't say, hey, here comes my homie Jesus. We grew up together. He didn't say that. When John saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, now church, you got to spend some time trying to understand the significance of what John has just said. You see, the phrase Lamb of God, it means something to the people who was hearing it. It, it, it wasn't just words that John was saying. John was making something, a statement that was going to be understood by the people who heard it. Here's what I mean. When you talk about the Lamb of God, the people would understand and they would remember the Lamb provided by Abraham and a sacrifice in place of Isaac. They would, they would understand that. They, they would understand the Passover lamb that was the blood of that lamb that was smeared on the doorposts of the, of the Hebrews' slaves when the death angel was passing over in Egypt. They would have heard that lamb. They, they would also read in Isaiah the, the suffering servant from Isaiah when he talked about, remember what Isaiah said? He said he was oppressed, yet he was afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. As a lamb that is led to the slaughter and as a sheep that before its shearers is mute, he did not open his mouth. The, the, he would understand Jeremiah's gentle lamb that is led to the slaughter. So as far as the people were concerned... 
for John to say, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He wasn't making a declaration about his relationship with Jesus. He was saying, this is the Messiah. John didn't stutter. And John was making it clear to the people that this was the Lamb of God that would take away all of our sins. And I'm telling you, John took a big risk. John was coming this close to blasphemy. John, why on earth would you take such a big risk? Now, 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 if that was bad, John even went a step further and made this worse. I want you to see John. This is what John said in verse 30. He says, not only did he say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and making a messianic declaration, he went even a step further. And in verse 30, he says, wait a second, this is he on behalf of whom I said after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now listen, church, if you read the Bible carefully, John was born before Jesus. So for John to say he existed before me, and he's now throwing the people into utter confusion. What do you mean he, was, he existed before? What do you mean he was born before you? John is saying, listen, listen, you need to understand that this man is not ordinary. You need to understand that all of what you have been waiting for has now arrived on the scene. The deliverer has come. And oh, by the way, he is the ancient of days. He was there from the beginning. He was the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. He is the great I am. Before Abraham was, he is. He is God. And guess what? He is here right now. Before I was born, before I even existed, he was. Why is John taking such a risk? Why is, where, where is this confidence coming from that John has? Now, now, let's go further. And we'll wrap up soon. Let's go a little bit further. John now says, are you with me? John now says, I did not recognize him. What? Look again. John says in verse 31, I did not recognize him. You grew up with him. John says, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel. In other words, so that he, he, can, be, he can be exposed and, 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 and unveiled and released to Israel. I came baptizing in water. John then testified saying, but, 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 but I, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Watch verse 33. I did not recognize him. But, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Twice in this text, John declares he did not recognize him. Twice in the text. This is the same John that says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The same John who grew up with Jesus on the playground. And he says twice, I didn't recognize him. This lets us know that as far as John was concerned, 
He was not seeing his cousin. He was not seeing his homie. He was not seeing his homeboy. He was seeing the fulfillment of prophecy brought on by the revelation of God. John knew Jesus, but he didn't know the Messiah. Two very different things. John knew Jesus, but he didn't know the Messiah. You see, while they were related and while they'd been acquainted from childhood, it was only now that John would recognize Jesus for who he really was. And, and this recognition was only made possible by divine revelation. That revelation came from God himself. See what John says. He says, he says listen, I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize told me that what? That the one whom you see the spirit descending upon like a dove and remaining on him, he is the one that will baptize with Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost fire. Uh, divine revelation, brothers and sisters, is not just regular revelation. Regular revelation is what happens with an unveiling. Like when Bishop Ingram unveiled the Richard Allen statue in Philadelphia, it was revealed. It was, a, it was an unveiling. Or, or, or when, when they did the portrait of the Obamas and they did an unveiling, that's revelation. But divine revelation is something a little bit different. You see, divine revelation could only happen because it takes one to know one. Remember I told you that John grew up with his cousin Jesus, but again, John, the text says, he didn't recognize him. He says, I see the Spirit descending upon him. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me was the one who told me to look for this sign. The, 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 the he who sent me to baptize? Who is this he who sent me? Without knowing anything about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, you cannot know the Spirit of God separate and apart from having the Spirit of God. It takes one to know one. You cannot know the things of God, the things that are important to God, and to be able to see the revelation, the divine revelation of the things of God without the Spirit of God. It takes the Spirit of God to know the things of the Spirit of God. It takes one to know one. From a biblical perspective, you read in Luke, here's what it says in Luke. Jesus says this in Luke. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Now, now that might be a little confusing to you. So let's look at what Jesus said to Peter and Peter's confession. Now, it says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, who do people say that 
I am. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, but others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, we're not quite sure, Jesus, who you are. People are saying you're any one of these things because they don't recognize you. The Spirit recognizes the Spirit. And so they, they, they didn't know who you really are because they don't have the Spirit. But then, but then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? You know the text. You know the text. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And out of no hesitation, in the very same way that John made his declaration, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, now brothers and sisters, don't miss this. Jesus immediately says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, the Spirit recognizes the Spirit, and it takes one to know one. This is a spiritual truth that I want you to take hold of, church. And the spiritual truth is this. If it applies to the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God recognizes the Spirit of God in other things, then the same principle is true for evil and demonic spirits. <laughs> you see, if you find yourself in a situation where you identify that a person is lustful, jealous, envious, malicious, two-faced, hypocritical, greedy, or even has demonic spirits such as divination, witchcraft, fortune-telling, rebellion, magic, or even the Jezebel spirit. You need to be very mindful, my brothers and my sisters, that it still takes one to know one. That's why I said earlier that this little playground quip, it has deep theological truth because what is true in the spiritual world is true universally. It takes one to know one. So, so if you see people with all of these things going on in their lives, check yourself. It's the reason why Jesus says, listen, listen, before you look for the speck in your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own. You see, you see, you need to understand that while you can see what's wrong with people, it's because you have the same issue. It takes one to know one. This is a hard message, church. This is a classic case of the pot calling the kettle black. I know you wanted to hear a good feel-good message, but what I'm trying to tell you is to Check yourself before you wreck yourself. You need the kind of spirit that allows you to recognize the spirit of God. And you can't do that if you're walking around with all kinds of other spirits. Are you hearing me? So, so the right kind of spirit comes to you when you accept Christ. Now, if you are finding that you're having difficulty overcoming emotional, financial, and physical challenges in your lives that are manifesting themselves in rather unusual ways, then I'd like to suggest, I'd like to suggest that you're probably walking around 
with the wrong kind of spirit. Something is in you that needs to get out of you. And you can try all you want. You can do everything in your power. You cannot get rid of spiritual things. The only thing that can get rid of bad spiritual things is the spirit of God. Where are you? And with the right kind of spirit, you can recognize, first of all, who you are. If you can admit that you are a sinner, saved but for the grace of God, then you are ready to receive the right kind of spirit. And that spirit will not only let you recognize who you are, but it will also help you to recognize what it is that you are to do. The Bible tells us we are surrounded by a large cloud of witnesses. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares and entangles us. And watch this. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Doing what? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame and has sat down now at the right hand of God the Father. And finally, you have to recognize what has been done by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. So when John made the emphatic declaration, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he did not see his cousin. He who sent him to baptize in water told him to look for the one upon whom the dove will descend, the spirit like a dove will descend and rest upon. And when your eyes see who that is, that is the one that will baptize with the Holy Spirit. What I'm telling you, my brothers and my sisters, is if you are having trouble seeing Jesus, if you cannot see who he is, then check your spiritual health. For he's here with us right now. And he's been in this message all over. But do you recognize him? Have you had an encounter with the spirit of God that allows you to be able to see him? If your answer is no, then let me be the first to invite you to share in this divine revelation. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says in John 3.16, what did he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the gospel and that's what John came to preach. So if you, if you today have a desire in your heart to be able to, to recognize him, then, then my brothers and my sisters, you are in the right place. God is with us. He is Emmanuel. But not only for those, you may have already been saved and you already got the Holy Ghost running up and down your lives. But every now and then you need to be reminded 
who you are and that you are able to recognize him when you see him. If you're having a hard time recognizing God, recognizing Jesus, then the message is simple. It takes one to know one. If all you do is recognize bad things in people, what people not doing, what people aren't getting right, if all you can see are the critical parts of people's lives, then my brothers and my sisters, let's be clear. You're not operating in the spirit of God. Because what I do know about Jesus is that he, what he does is he looks beyond our faults and he sees our need. If God was to look at all of us and say, you know what, you ain't qualified. None of us, none of us would be here. But he looks beyond our faults. And he sees that you have something that is beautiful in his sight. And so if that is you, then we want, you to, we want to affirm it in your faith today.